With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. your boyfriend back now where's your damn boat the loss is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps uh starting you off with probably the single worst introduction we've ever had in uh, it the history been, it, it could be worse <laughs> it could be the transition noise from maternity leave just playing on loop for a minute and a half, it, as opposed to we, like this we, weird <laughs> powerpuff girls theme on ecstasy that we get in room 23 yeah we don't even need to play the normal intro song uh just everyone needs to have that as a base coat right like if carl has to go crazy in room 23 so do we here as we're talking about not in portland season three episode seven of lost uh podcast dropping just a few days after we released our season three episode six podcast we said before mike that uh we really wanted to emulate what it felt like to be in those first six episodes by dragging those six weeks across eight weeks uh now we're just like doing the opposite we just want to be like shot out of a cannon from episode six into episode seven we're through hydra island we want to escape hydra island as quickly as humanly possible i mean how can we not follow up on what was argued previously as one of the best cliffhangers in lost history we don't have to wait three months we have the luxury of hindsight so we can easily say all right let's wait four days and then record some talk on its follow-up not in portland as lost reaches the year of 2007 and it reaches the shores of hydra island as well we have a big 
big episode to talk about, Josh. Yeah, it's you know, this is one of those this is one of those like lost the action movie episodes. There's a few. Yes. Uh, and this this definitely feels like it. This is, you know, a lot of momentum, a lot of uh, you know, you know, sort of like literal like violence and tension and and all of that that's going on here on the island. I enjoy this one quite a bit. I think that this is just like a great thrill ride of an episode of Lost. I mean, I think that there is definitely thematic stuff to talk about and great character moments, um, but like as far as it being like one of the big metaphoric meals, I don't think that that is mm. uh, necessarily what Not in Portland is, but I think that that's totally okay. I think when an episode is as competent uh, as this one in the thriller category, I think that that can be a really fun ride. Yeah, it's sort of like a junk food episode of Lost, right? Where like it doesn't get into really the heady, meaty stuff that has us coming back time and time again. We're going to get into that as soon as next week with flashes before your eyes. But there, what I would say is... I think this is the first episode so far for season three, in my purview, where even the episodes that I've really enjoyed throughout the first six episodes of Lost season three, I think I've I've found something I didn't like about each one of them, whether it was a flashback plot or a main plot or a side plot or Paulo shitting in the pearl. Uh, <laughs> there were just there were there were little things that stuck out with each of those first six episodes, and I will say, not in Portland feels like the first like solidly competent episode of loss where it really does feel like a cohesive product from beginning to end. I think that's a bit reflective of the behind the scenes process where I know that infamously it's really after stranger in a strange land, that they're going to start reworking their process, but you can sort of feel it here as to where they're seeing the rest of the season going after episode six. And I really do feel like this was just uh, a very like cohesively well done episode, really fun episode, excited to talk about it. Of course, it's not in Portland. It's directed by Stephen Williams. who's directed so much of lost written by Carlton Cuse and Jeff Pinkner. Jeff Pinkner, who's going to be a big presence on Fringe, Mm. uh, the the great Fringe. Uh, And it is the first of a few Juliet episodes. I believe only three flashback episodes in general, which is surprising. But given that the character is only going to be on for about three seasons, I guess it Mm -hmm. ends up making sense. Ends up working out. And, you know, I, I think like if we're calling this a junk food episode of Lost, I think that's that's maybe not doing a service to the acting that's going on here. I think this is a fantastic Elizabeth Mitchell episode. Yes. So it's a, it's a great Michael Emerson episode as well. <laughs> Michael Emerson is, I mean, listen, you're talking about how as actors, they say that the hardest thing to do is act drunk. I guess second to that is what acting sedated. Yeah. And Michael Emerson being able to still <laughs> command danger while like waning in and out of consciousness, passed out on an operating table. Isn't that what Sawyer was doing back in uh, what Kate did, waning in and out of consciousness? Oh God, please no. Uh, there is no Sawyer, only Wayne. But I, I yeah, I, I think that Michael Emerson. This is a really strong, you know, focus on the Jack Juliet Ben trio in particular. And if you're not into that, we have a lot of fun stuff with Kate and Sawyer and Alex running through the jungles. There's a little bit for everybody here, even though. I believe, Josh, this is only one of two episodes in Lost history to not show anything on the island proper. Ooh, what's the other one? I believe it's Happily Ever After. Happily Ever After also takes place only on Hydra. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it takes place only on Hydra or just somewhere. And in the sideways. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that tracks. That seems to make sense to me off the top of my head. And here's the uh, thing. Uh, again, I don't know if this is a hot take, but what I've gleaned through watching the Hydra arc now officially finished in Lost Season 3, I gotta say, Josh, through the first third of Lost Season 3, 
the strongest part is the Hydra stuff, uh-huh. <laughs> which is which is weird to me because I think the connotation behind this is very much like, oh, the Hydra stuff sucks. It's just Sawyer and Kate in cages. But honestly, comparing it to the the stuff that was going on on island, the Hydra stuff was far more captivating, and here is no exception. Yeah, can I tell you a secret? Don't tell anyone. This is just between you and me. I really enjoyed uh, season three so far. I know it's like not like deeply reflected in the ratings because we've gone as low as a two point six, right? I have you went a two point two. Uh, I've gone like a four, a three, a two point six, a three, a four point two, a three point six, and a redacted for not in Portland until later <laughs> in the episode. Uh, and so like that's not like necessarily reflective of a great time on Lost, but it's been like totally fine and fun, and I've had fun. I've had a good. Time time i've had a good time with all of this stuff and really a lot of it powered through uh having juliet as a presence on the show it's just been really really great to have this character in the lexicon yeah because i think you can sort of see while maybe the show is trying to figure out how to use its main cast which we sort of thought through saw through season two right looking at you charlie and how to utilize the main cast past all of the brilliant calamity that was season one i think what they were able to figure out mostly in season three again looking at you, Nikki and Paulo, is that bringing in characters like Juliet and Ben and being able to debut them in such a mysterious yet confident fashion and be able to substantiate that later on, I think is, is very well done. You know, this is going to be Juliet's flashback episode, which really shows her in a completely different light from the jump. The first shot is her crying on the beach. We have yet to see Juliet show that much emotion in the first six episodes, even though I think we sort of see into some some cautious looks that she gives sometimes. From a, a overall perspective, she has not shown that vulnerability yet. And so this couldn't come at a better time. It's also... Besides Desmond, our first flashback to someone who is not on 815 and someone who is part of this nefarious others group. So I think this this episode comes back. Roaring is not necessarily a word I want to use because we'll talk about it later on with my, my rating thoughts about it. But again, I think a very solid comeback for the show after a three-month hiatus of, okay, we left you on a big note. Let's start answering some of these questions finally. And, and I think... Um, because we're doing these so quickly back to back, I do to not in Portland actually really works well as a as a double header. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can say it works, yeah. season three works better on a binge than a, that perspective. Yeah, I I think I think it does well. That's been I mean I think a lot of the episodes in season three like Stranger in a Strange Land. I'll do my best to dress that one up. <laughs> uh, but like there there are episodes that on uh, the weekly, uh, when you were watching it weekly, just would like leave you wanting more. But I do think as like uh, a boulder rolling down the hill or a van rolling down a hill, it, it picks up speed uh, in, in a really fun way. Uh, and obviously what we do here on, on Down the Hatch is, is weekly stuff, but we can talk about the, the, the content of, of these episodes that are still coming up. The constant? Um, but I've I've always really enjoyed season three uh, when like I've been doing like my sitting down and just like crushing lost phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a really great season to crush and and to to do I do and then not in Portland so quickly after each other I think has been uh, it was it was a lot of fun for me today. Um, all right, let's get into the episode. Let's go forth into the jungles of Hydra Island, not for the last time, Mike, because we will be there for Stranger in a Strange Land. I have to I hate to tell you, and then we'll come back for season six. I mean, if this is the Hydra island finale really they knocked it out of the park but they do do stranger in a strange oh, I'm land i'm glad you put doo-doo in there in the same I sense know, stranger in a strange land. uh so we begin with a flashback and the flashback is epic trolling on the part of lost right mm-hmm. uh it's juliet's on a beach 
There's like she goes into this hallway. She, goes, she, she, gets the lo- she gets the lock pan around too, right? Of the camera circling around her, sitting on the beach with tears falling down her face. There's like uh, there's Ethan in the hallway. Hello. Uh, there's a record playing in her room. The music is really creepy. Juliet has a needle that she's about to inject somebody with. There's candlelight. There's like there's an octagon with a yin yang in the middle that looks a lot like a, a, a hatch a, hatch situation. It feels very othery. This is a very mm-hmm. othery opening of Lost, but of course, it's just Miami, Mike. Which is great, because I think it's a fantastic opposition to the opening of A Tale of Two Cities, which is the last Juliet flashback we saw, and is the exact opposite, where we think, okay, this is suburbia removed from the island, mm-hmm. but it turns out that, no, this these are the bunkers. Instead, it's, oh, yeah, clearly this is like the uh, the just derelict status of the era with these flickering lights and some mm-hmm. really dirty, dingy things. Nope. This is just Miami's very bad at its, <laughs> its infrastructure. Poor, poor Rachel having to stay yeah. in what seems like an j- absolutely terrible place. So it also seems like later on in the episode, like she's living with Juliet in her apartment. I'm not entirely sure where this first scene is supposed to take place. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's Juliet's apartment is is what it seems like to me. Um, but yeah, this is this is Rachel Juliet's sister, played by uh, the great actress Robin Weigert, uh, sister of Tyler, uh, <laughs> and uh, great great from Deadwood mm-hmm. and so many things as Calamity Jane. There, uh, I think she's in two, maybe three episodes. Yeah, well, because well, because um, well, there's the younger version of her is going to appear in the incident, and then we're going to have the whole thing of Ben showing Juliet that Jacob quote-unquote cured her cancer so we see like uh her not necessarily acting against anybody the name Rachel is also very interesting because we go back to the good book in the form of the bible Rachel was the name of one of Jacob's wives and she had for you know ironically enough a bit of a fertility issue she Joseph's mother she was quite me favorite wife that's what Jacob says (laughs) (laughs) Joseph and the amazing (laughs) sex color dream coat I never really loved another all me life is what he says after that I didn't realize uh, Henry and Cusick wrote the lyrics instead of Andrew Lloyd Webber (laughs) I don't know if I'm inserting the me's instead of the my's or if that's canonical (laughs) we'll have to refer Um, to the lyrics but but Rachel uh, so Spoiler alert, I guess, for the Bible. Uh, So, you know, she was not able to bear children for Jacob. Uh, Her sister and second wife of Jacob, Leah, bore six children. Uh, And then God did grant Rachel the ability to give birth to children, one of whom was Joseph. But Rachel did die in childbirth with her second son, give you a pause here, Benjamin. So Mm. all the names are just lining up here. And it wouldn't make sense that uh, the name Rachel is connected to the idea of infertility, given the theme of this episode. You know, now that I'm thinking, because I only know the Bible through Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor well, Dream Coat. perfect way to, just a, a fact accurate is, depiction Is that the, the climax of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Coat is that Benjamin gets framed for thievery. Right, mm. like he gets famed, uh, framed for for being a bandit, but he's not. He's very honest, and that's the song that Judah sings. Oh no, not he! How you can accuse him is a mystery. Oh, I did remember. Yeah, I think it's in Proverbs when they say, "And they broke into Calypso." <laughs> so uh, it's weird that they named him uh, Benjamin. 
uh, when Ben is a liar. So is it ironic that his name is Ben? <laughs> yeah, I think this is the, the reason like a why cosmic joke. Well, I think the reason why Locke trusted him so much is that we know Locke is a devout ALW head. Yeah, he loves Locke, Andrew Lloyd Webber. And so he watched Joseph. He's like, this guy is named Benjamin for a reason because I'm Locke. Yeah. Clearly, he's he's fine. He's on the up and up. I can trust him, even though I don't think it, even though I don't know his name is Ben. His name is Henry now, Gale, but I'm pretty sure his name is Ben. Now, once upon a time, Mike, you posited a pretty wild theory that uh, Walt was named after Walt Disney. But let's not forget that his last name is Lloyd. Mm. Is there any possibility that Walt Lloyd is related to Andrew Lloyd Webber? I was thinking Lloyd Christmas, personally, that mm. uh, when after making his way off the island, Walt had to make his way to Aspen with his very uh, dumb dog With the Marshall's friend. briefcase, trying to figure out how to open it. Samsonite! I was way <laughs> I off. I was way off. All right, we're way off target <laughs> here off target. as well. Uh, there's not a ton of thematic stuff. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like this is a super thematically rich episode. It's just a fun episode. It's yeah, a fun episode there's, there's a lot of plot. They're really moving the plot forward after kind of stalling things for a bit in the first six episodes, though I think we argued there was still a lot of intrigue in those first six episodes. They really make up for the lack of literal movement in Not in Portland, where again, you know, we're gonna go right back to the end of I Do, the whole Jack side of the conversation, but specifically panning in on Juliet and seeing her reaction. And I'll point out what you pointed out last week from the Matthew Fox perspective, but Elizabeth Mitchell, fantastic eye actress. Unbelievable. You can see what she's doing behind the mask here, and it's it's clear she is really trying to gauge Jack on what the hell pivot he's trying to make. Well, I think maybe, you know, we're watching Not in Portland in an an era where masks are commonplace, so maybe we are just more used to divining emotion (laughs) from behind a mask at this point uh, that before this may have been hard to figure out like what's going on behind that mask but now like we're, we're it's old hat or old mask at yeah. this point and I will also say uh, going back to the end of the flashback briefly I did like the revelation that the uh, of you know the Miami even though it was a bit of a an underline with let's pull open the skyline and show Miami it was very much you know season one flashbacks of we're clearly in Australia because here's the Sydney Harbor House or uh, Opera House but I do like the reveal that you know not only does this connotate that these flashbacks will take place off island but that Juliet herself came from off the island. I don't know, maybe we had sort of made an assumption at the time about the character based on when Ben had lied to Jack about how he had been on this island his entire life that, oh, this must mean all the others are natives of the island as we sort of postulated in season two when they were initially dressed down like that flickering light. But to find out that much like Desmond, Juliet herself is someone who left, led a relatively normal life off island and would get recruited in some way, I think was sort of a fun revelation because the Juliet that we see in the flashbacks is extremely different from my perspective from the Juliet yeah, we see in important. And I, and I think that that's part of the fun of the episode is this disconnect between these two different people. And and it's really this gulf of three years, 22 days or two months, 22 days, whatever the, the final tally is uh, of like how how much that amount of time can change a person, which I think is actually reflected in, you know, the person who she ends up with, with, with yeah. Sawyer, that there's a lot of growth for Sawyer in, you know, the three months that the, the vast majority of loss takes place in. Um, but then when there's that big time jump and we're going from, you know, the events of uh, the start of Lafleur to like the the forward point um, in in the seventies uh, of three years later, like he's just like a totally different person. Uh, is, is, so is, I, is three years the magic number? Then do we just need to wait three years mm-hmm. and things will automatically change? That's a sweet spot. Yeah, I think that that might be it. I hope. 
I hope it doesn't take any more than that for I don't know. I'm not gonna get into it. I'm gonna let it I'm gonna let it lie. Gonna let it lie right there where it is. Uh Juliet's not gonna let this lie. Uh she's like, All right, uh here we go. Uh Jack is is causing all sorts of problems here. Meanwhile with Pickett He's just getting his butt handed to him by Sawyer. Uh, another demerit for Pickett. You know, this is another reason why he should have just uh, shot, not shot, uh, <laughs> Sawyer. Because now he's getting thrown into the polar bear cages, uh, the electric button. He's getting shocked. And I, got I, shocked. I guess Ben ended up turning the button back on at some point. I'd assumed after the events of Every Man for Himself, he kept it off. But I guess now also thinking about it, it's pretty dangerous to have that thing activated in the rain for the polar bears, though. It does seem like Ben is not necessarily the most humanitarian of leaders. Yeah, probably not. But to to speak to the uh, disparity between the Juliet of the flashbacks and the Juliet of the present, uh, let's get into our first sound of the episode. And it comes after, like, we've been cutting back and forth between the action in the cages and the action in the operating room. And Mr. Friendly, who's frantic. Great Mr. Friendly episode, by the way. Really uh, fun. I would say it's, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about uh, the change a person makes, Friendly undergoes, like, three years of change from perspective where, like, compare the guy in this episode to the man who got Walt off the raft at the end of, of Exodus, and it's two completely different guys. We are seeing yeah. a much different side of him, which I think is also a microcosm of how, in this episode alone, we're seeing very different sides of the others that initially presented a very unified and scary front. Yeah, we'll get into the friendly stuff in a, in a little bit, but he asks Juliet, alright, well, what do we do? And so Juliet has a pretty cold-blooded answer. Go get Danny, then find Austin and Ford, and bring them back. Now, you do that, and Ben dies. Go. No, you think I'm lying? You think this is a bluff? I will let him die! No, Jack, you won't. Go. Get them back. If you have to, kill them. Dark! Yeah, very dark. And it's interesting because I think this episode officially cements that at this moment, Juliet is sort of like the VP of New Otherton, where with Ben obviously subdued for the moment, she is the one to snap back into action. She's the one that everybody else turns to. And she becomes a bit like Ben in this moment, right? She's taking on a bit of his qualities of, all right, uh, we're going to carry out these actions. We try doing our best. We try to make things good for them, but now we are prepared to kill them to prevent them from escaping the island, even though we know that escapes are going to be futile anyway. Yeah, I think that a piece of it is and, you know, this this is one of the it's a, it's a great Juliet episode, not surprisingly, because it's a flashback centered on Juliet. Um, but I I think like the contrast between, you know, who she is, somebody who's like a really caring sister, somebody who's like really, really invested in creating life uh, before she made it to the island and now is commanding death in this moment is that this is a person who's been hardened by circumstance. Yep. And this is a person who's had to adapt to life on the island. And it does make you wonder in this moment, um, in retrospect, when, when you find out that she's been here for three years and you're comparing that person three years on from the woman that we see in the flashbacks in Miami of like, what would being 
in this place, in this environment for that long of a period of time due to you. And apparently it would turn you into someone fairly cold-blooded. Um, but for Juliet, her plan has now been shot to sunshine, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jack taking things um, into his own hands and, uh, and, and screwing with her plans, like make Ben's death look like an accident, means that literally for the, the sake of her own survival because of the justice system that exists within the others, which we will see in a little while in a couple of episodes, Strigoi, uh, <laughs> is, you know, she has to protect herself now. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's just, it's, it's a really uh, compelling look at the character. Uh, and Elizabeth Mitchell, I think, plays it really, really well. And just another great example of how she knows Jack really well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, how, like, there's just no way that Jack is going to let Ben die. Like, she says that, you know, we're skipping the flash uh, for, for a quick second here. I think we could just finish what's going on in the operating room mm-hmm. real quick just to, to tie this knot. But, like, Julia continues, like, Jack's plan isn't going to work. You haven't thought this through. We're on a different island. Mr. Friend was like, yeah, sorry, man. We're totally on a different island. Uh, and Juliet's like, like, can we can we find some sort of peaceful resolution here? so nobody has to die uh, and this is when jack you know loses his top uh, yeah. and, he, and and the doc doxes juliet <laughs> here right like he's like you're the one who asked me to kill ben and mr friendly is just like had it up to here i think mr friendly's mask uh, or fake beard has come off here uh where he is now revealed as somebody who like doesn't deal with stress well yeah, uh, he's like, just like, get out get out of yeah. here get he it. just needs he just needs to think i like how he says go julie i wish yeah. more people called her julie and it's a i don't know it's kind of a weird nickname I forget, does Sawyer... No, Sawyer doesn't call her Jules. Juliet to Julie isn't that weird. I, think, I, think I like, that I like Jules better than trip. Julie, personally. And, of course, Blondie trumps them all. It's a short trip. It's a short trek from Juliet to Julie. You're literally shaving off a single yeah, letter. Yeah, so then what's the, the, what's the, the use end. of it, then? Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 like, I want a major shortening, not just, like, take By one letter By shortening off. a letter, you're kicking out a syllable, too. So it is a, you know, it's a small but significant shortening. I mean, mm-hmm. should I call you Joss from now on as a nickname to your nickname? Uh, you aren't shaving off a syllable by doing that, so I don't know why you would do that. Just for fun. I mean, if you like. Uh, it's sort of like how everybody calls Joss Whedon Josh Whedon. Uh, at least they do around me for whatever reason. That's, like, that's oh, yeah. a, that's a Have you ever seen Josh Whedon's <laughs> Avengers movies? Like, no, I haven't. I think maybe that's more of like a psychological thing where they're thinking of you, and so they substitute yeah, your name in for Joss Whedon. Uh, well, I, my mere presence makes people nervous. I have, uh, <laughs> you're I have discovered very, this. You're very intimidating. <laughs> very intimidating. Very intimidating um, guy. But yeah, I, uh, I think... But I love Juliet saying here, like, don't let him fool you. Don't let that fool you. <laughs> He's not going to let this guy die. Jack wouldn't do that. So like, not only is Juliet showing how much of a survivor she is she is showing uh in the jervis sense uh she is she is showing that she knows jack very well like she knows these people she's read the books so then to that that question though when she initially made that pitch to jack did she think he would go through with it because now she's saying the exact opposite right that he would never kill ben even if it was this accident that she set up i think she was like taking a gamble uh and now by him doing what he's doing now has borne out to her that, yeah, he's just never going to do this. Mm, so it is more of like a revelation to her of like, yes. well, I put my trust in the doctor. Why did I? This, the scorpion stung me again. I realized that, ironically enough, actually, this, the jack scorpion like wouldn't sting anybody, right? It wouldn't yeah. want to kill anyone with its poison. It's a roll of the dice. She's hoping that like it's a compelling pitch. She's spent some time building his, building up trust with him. Probably not unlike Ben, she would have liked to have had a little more time. Uh, you know, she rushed it. She got into it as quickly as she possibly could. Uh, and 
you know, it didn't work. And I think at this point now she knows like, okay, well, this tells me that Jack's just not going to let a dude die. That's yeah. not something he's going to do. He's not going to let a guy die on the operating table at the very least. But it's interesting because uh, it actually, again, we're talking about the disparity between flashback Juliet and present day Juliet. And it's not just the hair. By the way, uh, going off of Kate's questionable hair and I do, Juliet rocking some pretty damn good Miami hair, volume for days. Uh, volume but, for days. but she's also not the best at plans when it comes to the flashback as well, considering she gets caught sneaking into the research facility that she works at to steal some samples for Rachel. Uh, yeah, so that's in the flashback, and she's gonna, you know, she's got this uh, this phone meeting with Middleos Bioscience. This is familiar, right? Middleos Bioscience. Where have we heard of Middleos before? Uh, is this uh, is this anything having to do with the with the the Lost Experience? Yeah, so I believe uh, Middleos did appear in the Lost Experience. Had its own sort of like presentation i don't think richard Appler came out and gave the full powerpoint but i do believe middleos was mentioned and of course if you do the whole anagram business middleos ends up translating to lost time lost time uh and this is going to be a season of uh of of flash uh with, with the anagrams of the flash forward of uh hoff's drawler funeral parlor right well, well, even in the, uh, we can definitely get into the room 23 of it all later on but i do believe one of the backwards phrases that's being said by maybe miss clue can also be translated to something like like lay where the nadlers the nadlers do which made people think that rose and bernard were the skeletons that are adam and eve yeah i do feel like for a while that was the plan uh what are you gonna do uh the reason why I thought that Middleos was from the Lost Experience, I believe, is because of Thomas Middlework, mm. uh, who is like the antagonist of the of the Lost Experience. But I actually think that they are not like canonically related. I don't know. There's is a lot there's a, there's from a, there's the Lost Experience canonical. Uh, there's a lot of middlemen in Lost, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the middle workers, uh, tons of them. But in walks a guy as Juliet is trying to put some drugs back for her experimental stuff that she's doing with Rachel, uh, and it is it's her ex husband Edmund who is played by uh, Jelko Ivanek, who is an incredibly great that guy bad oh, yeah. guy. Well, I think particularly uh, when it comes to the Josh Wiggler, like yes. like uh, you know. Fan favorite shows. So, so Jelko Ivanek, who plays Edmund, who's like sort of like before Ben Linus for Juliet, there was Edmund, right? Like he he's sort of like scratching a very similar itch. Like you can she imagine, an, <laughs> you can imagine an alternate universe where uh, where Jelko Ivanek was cast as Ben instead of Michael Emerson. Like these roles could have been reversed. Um, but this is a prolific bad guy actor, uh, just in a ton of stuff. He's Andre Drazen in the first season of Twenty Four. He's governor devlin uh on all of the seasons i believe of oz he's just like king douchebag mm. in so many things including i believe he's a vampire king on true blood uh at one point in time um he's in uh emily fox's favorite movie unfaithful he's a detective there even when he's a good guy he's usually a piece of shit uh so here he is playing just another bad guy here uh it for a, a done in one appearance for this actor who uh i cherish uh every time he's in something it's always going to be the mark of like all right wiggler pay attention because uh th this is the mark it's the jelko sign of approval well not only that uh jelko actually has some crossover into a lost copycat show that myself and john kraus and the Ben behind the curtain spoke about a few weeks ago he ends up appearing a few years later on the event and i think he also stayed on nbc a bit i believe he was one of the big bads in one of the later seasons of heroes where he played the hunter 
if I remember correctly. That feels right. It's I would be I would be surprised if he wasn't on Heroes. Yeah. So I think that uh, you know he is good at being bad. He is an evil man. No coincidence that he's bald here. Again, fitting my theory to a T. And yeah, Edmund's the worst. Such an ass. I mean, first, the name Edmund Burke sounds like a white supremacist, uh, and that's not proven from Edmund's side of things. But like when the first scene we're introduced to is him showing his young sweetie around the lab as like a bragging point and then doing her on the lab counter right after having an awkward encounter with his ex-wife. Like this guy just has major douche chill. Uh, let's just run down the list of things he's been in. He was in an episode of the Americans. That's cool. He's in a couple episodes. I'm assuming he was a Russian. Uh, I don't remember if he was, he played a guy named John Skeevers gives you (laughs) It gives you the skeevies. Uh, he was in a couple of episodes of Banshee, a few episodes of Revolution, another mm, lost clone, uh, 22 episodes of The Event. And I think The Event was only like 22 episodes. Yeah, so yeah he was in, in the yeah, full I mean, he, was, he was part of the main cast of The Event. So, And he was mm-hmm. the director of national intelligence in The Event. Yeah, he played uh, JJ on Big Love, not JJ Abrams, uh, but he was there for, for a hot minute. So yeah, he's been he's been all over the place. Uh, he was in an episode of Law and Order SVU playing Everett Drake without knowing who that guy is. I have to imagine he was a bad dude. And I also uh, uh, believe most recently Jelko has had a major role on the, I think now done, Madam Secretary, where I think he was part of the main cast there for like five or six years. He, oh, I had forgotten that he was a pretty big, uh, big character on Damages. Uh, I don't oh, know if yeah. you ever watched Damages. Damages is a good show. Um, so yeah, he's been in a, in a ton of stuff. Uh, I just always love whenever he pops up. So this is always a fun part of Not in Portland for me and like added like a special layer of glee to when he gets run over by a bus, <laughs> which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, from now. But yeah, he's, he's a mega douche here where he's like making out with his new girlfriend who's his new secretary, although she has not been revealed no, as his secretary. No, not secretary. Yet. I think lab assistant. Yeah, lab tech, yeah. Like, secretary, and- I could understand, but lab assistant, not to uh, bemoan Sherry's credentials on looks alone, but I don't know how much scientific cred she has as compared to, like, okay, we'll have you, you know, run the phone lines and be able to take memos down. The whole thing is very, very terrible, especially when he's like, Juliet's just leaving. Hey, Jules, turn off the yeah, lights. Yeah, that's really grody. I mean, I guess it is a little of, of like mutually assured destruction of like, hey, uh, if you report me for doing this, I'm going to tattle on you for stealing from uh, from the from work, from the job that we work at together. But it's still a very skeevy thing to do. Very it's Edward Skeever's thing to do. It's gross. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the rain has stopped. Back at the polar bear cages, and Pickett is back on his feet, and like his crew shows up to 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 get him out. It's really just this guy Ivan who's come to to get him, and I think Jason is the other guy. Yeah, no, I think that I can't remember. I think Jason is the one locked up with Pickett. Yeah, that's right. Because so Jason's going to be the one yes. who Saeed kills by breaking his neck with his neck with his legs. Yeah. Uh. R.I.P. in advance for Jason. Uh, MVP point for Saeed prematurely. Uh, he might not. That's a packed episode. He might yeah, not I was going to say, this is through the MVP looking point. glass. If we, uh, yeah, maybe if tough. we separate into part one and part two, maybe Saeed will get it. But Yeah, maybe we should do that. I don't know. Uh, we'll we see. didn't do that for for uh, for Live Together, Die Alone, but maybe we should have. But also, we did that's that Live Together, Exodus. Die Alone. And this, is, and this is through the looking glass. Not to all besmirch right. all, you know, not all finales are created equal. <laughs> All right, maybe we'll we'll give ourselves some extra room there because there's just going to be too many people to 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 feet. Uh, but you know, I Pickett sucks. He's horrible. This is agreed upon. Um, but like in his defense, 
it's very clear that Ivan has shown up very quickly after Juliet has said, like, go to Pickett. Mm-hmm. The rain has already stopped, and Pickett is already back on his feet after getting his ass kicked and getting shocked in the pouring rain uh, in the polar bear yeah, cage. And, and, and he's already back up and running. And got his nose broken again. That's the thing, is that Sawyer aimed squarely for the nose initially, because he yeah. knew how he, uh, you know, he's a bit on the mend when it comes to that. So maybe this is just pure adrenaline throwing, th- you know, flowing through Pickett. If he was raging before, he is up apoplectic with rage at this point. He is just seeing red and ready to tear Sawyer's head off his body if he could. So maybe that's just coursing his body uh, with adrenaline to make him be able to be surprisingly on the up and up when he really should be laid out from a realistic perspective. Uh, so he's back on the hunt, and uh, if if we had room, maybe an LVP for Kate and Sawyer this week for running so slow. Uh, that Pickett and his crew are able to catch up with them so quickly. Yeah, and, and they I get guess, to the like, beach. Good sharpshooting question mark on Pickett's yeah. part because he destroys the walkie, but it's also like you could have shot them. Like there's a little bit of stormtrooper stuff coming from the others. I will also say, um, this is a very saucy Sawyer episode in that like they really give him a lot of one-liners. And I feel like they're a bit hit or miss in terms of the tone that they're trying to go with, with just the the danger that these two are facing. But I do recognize how heavily, I think, comedic the Sawyer character is this episode. Well, Carlton Cuse has always said that Sawyer is his favorite character to write for. Uh, so I just don't think that he's able to resist. But I also do think that this is Sawyer. You know, I, I think that it's pretty true to character that even in the middle of like, a very tense moment. He's going to stop down to like give you a Sawyerism. Uh, so he's just doing his thing. Uh, but he does like, yeah, they get to the beach and they see the island across the way. And so he's like, I wasn't lying. We're not on the thing. Uh, and she says, okay, we need a boat. He goes, yeah, and a couple towels and a buffet lunch. Uh, so it's just I, like I, a I, qu- I think quick my, Sawyerism underneath it all. Yeah, I think my favorite though is uh, Kate radioing Jack. And so he goes, tell him I said hi. Yeah, yeah, I said hi. Yeah, Pickett shoots at them and shoots the radio out of Kate's hand. So to to parse it out, would Pickett be getting an MVP point for being a sharpshooter, an LVP point for you were that close? Right. You couldn't do it. That's the thing. Like, I don't know if he was aiming for the walkie. Again, if, if my assumption is that Pickett is just overcome with rage at this point i can imagine that probably did not that probably affected his aim a good amount and considering that he is not very accurate whatsoever with the rest of his shots i'm gonna chalk it up to him just sort of getting lucky that i bet you he was aiming for kate in that moment and just happened to drift a few inches to the left to the point that it it happened to hit the radio squarely when the plot needed it to uh and then maybe a a slight mvp point for kate that like uh, a radio explodes in her hand, and she, you know, takes that pretty well. Yeah, I mean, immediately she goes into "Let's run." I mean, she does. Yeah. She now takes Jack's instructions pretty well. But now they made it to the beach. Kate realized the gravity of the situation, so they're not necessarily doubling back, but it's back into the jungle for Kate and Sawyer. Yeah, because shot! They're getting shot at uh, as the others are shooting at them, and Sawyer burns his bullets trying to shoot Jason. It doesn't work. Uh, Alex shows up though. The, the uh, slingshot Al- finally works now. It's one yeah. for two. Alex, like I heard what you guys are saying about me on the podcast, so I just want to show up and make it uh make it official that I'm pretty cool and I can contribute. And she's able to to knock out Jason. She's able to hide uh Sawyer and Kate. 
yeah, there's, uh, nice to meet Yashina yeah, from Sawyer. There's a fun little, like, I don't know, it reminded me of, you know, the Fellowship of the Ring, where the others are the Nazgul, and these poor hobbits are, like, crouched underneath the log as they pass over them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I guess Alex and, and Ana Lucia are sort of, like, cut from the same cloth and being able to just make fantastic pits. Yeah, they love it. Uh, well, no, I that, miss make, the... that makes me a little sad that, that Alex doesn't go coming out as they, yeah. as they walk out of the pit. As they walk out of the pit. I miss I miss Laws. I miss uh, the, the prison from the Well, we got Zelko in, so time. maybe that's sort of scratching her itch here. Uh, all right, so let's, uh, let's check back in on the operating room. There is a development. Let's listen in. Is it true? It's what true? What you said. Did Juliet really ask you to kill him? Yeah. And in about 40 minutes, she's going to get her wish. Hey. That's not helping anything. Could somebody please get Juliet? Benjamin Linus is insane. <laughs> Benjamin Linus is a crazy he person. He woke up in the middle of his own operation. Though, who knows, that may not have been his fault. And even if they had gone through with this plan, that's still a pretty big egg on Jack and Juliet's face to not anesthetize him enough to knock him out for the entirety of the surgery. Well, I got, I mean, I'm not an anesthesiologist either, nor am I a spinal surgeon, but he was asked to count down from 20. He didn't even complete 18 and he was passed out. And then he's awake, what, like 17 minutes later? Is that, does that happen? I have no idea. I don't think you'd wait. I don't think they'd they no throw you another anesthesia to be like, all right, uh, you could watch like three quarters of a half hour TV show without commercials and they'll be right as rain. They'll wake up. Yeah, at the you end of couldn't it. even finish a Rick and Morty in the time. We're an always sunny in Philadelphia to, to put it more on topic uh, in the time it took for, for Ben to pass out and then wake back up on the table. Yeah, unless like he will himself or... Could Jacob have arisen Ben using his own powers to have him sort of like reconcile with his own life? Yeah, maybe. It's possible. Um, Or Ben's just a very light sleeper. (laughs) Or Ben was pretending to pass out and just decided to sit there the entire time while they carved into his back just in case something, you know, hooey went down. I can't remember if I said this on I Do or not, um, but if I didn't, now is the last opportunity to really bring it up. I love the angle on Michael Emerson on the table. Mm, the, mas- uh, the massage table angle. Yeah. like I just love that look up at Michael Emerson at Ben with his face through, what what is it, like the pillow? I don't know, the headrest. Again, not a doctor. No idea what do, to call Do you these think things. when they're not operating, they use that for massages on off days? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Hydra Island. Uh, experiments on animals. We're animals too, and our experiments <laughs> are massages. <laughs> exactly. Like you've earned it, everybody. Here's m- free uh, massage day, where Aldo will be walking around giving out free massages. Maybe they really hoped to recruit Jack uh, and like reconvert him into like maybe like a sometime spinal surgeon uh, slash chiropractor. Yeah, type. I mean, I think he knows the back. I, I'd imagine there's some crossover. Definitely so more crossover than. A- spinal surgeon and anesthesiologist apparently 
Much like Juliet to Julie, it's a short leap from spinal surgeon to chiropractor, I'm sure. Uh, but I just love Ben Linus with, that's not helping anything. Well, and I love that it starts with, hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> It's that awkward thing where, like, you're in the room and people are, like, talking about something that, like, you probably shouldn't hear because they don't know you're in the room. And eventually you have to be like, hi, <laughs> ah, I'm in the room. In, in retrospect, I'm a little surprised that Ben stirred so casually because usually he'd be like, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, hippity up, hippity up, wake up, wake up, wake up. <laughs> he doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the energy. Uh, flashback time, uh, Juliet is going to be confronted by douchebag Edmund being like, Hey, so uh, what's going on? Uh, I know what you're doing. Uh, you take. I know what you took from the lab. I can figure out what it is you're trying to do. I just don't know who's your guinea pig. Who are you trying to do this to? And Mike, this is one of my least favorite things that Lost does. I think. It, I think it works a little bit better here because Edmund is going to double back with it's your sister, right? right? She's the guinea pig. But this is a hallmark of the Kevin Johnson era of Lost coming <laughs> up. Uh, you know, several months from now, when we get into season four. And Ben says, I have a man on the boat. And then everyone's going to be so curious of, who is it? Who's the guy on the boat? Is the thing that they're going to keep talking like, who's your guy? He won't even tell us the name of his person. Why does that matter? Why does that matter at all? Even a little bit. There's the odds of you knowing who Ben's man <laughs> on the boat is are so, so, so small. And it's this other thing here where like, is this really the question that you ask right away this early on? I think it, it works better because Edmund knows Juliet. They were married. Right. He knows Rachel. He could probably very quickly put together that it's Rachel. Um, but this was very triggering for me because one of my least favorite things that Lost ever does is the Kevin Johnson stuff. So you, you're not necessarily a fan of people on the island being so concerned with, like, not necessarily mystery in general, but the very specific mystery of the identity of someone. I mean, in this case, I do feel like it's less so Edmund generally, genuinely wondering and more like, I think he has a theory and wants to, to see if Julia could outright admit it before he yeah. sort of, like, presses her, her uh, you know, nose to the grindstone a bit. I will say the camera work that opens this scene was something I noted, where it, it does this panning shot up from Juliet's waist. And if we're talking disparity, it's here in the body language where her hands are sort of playing with each other to indicate an, a nervousness and anxiety when she gets called into the boss's office. But when you pan up to her gaze, and Elizabeth Mitchell does this so well, it's steely and it's reserved and it's confident. And so it shows that like Juliet has always sort of had that capacity, but she still has anxiety about her. But yeah, I mean, this is also sort of like an expository, as you know, type of scene where Edmund's true colors really show where, yes, he does ask Juliet, who's your guinea pig? But then he also sort of blackmails her into collaborating with him about it, basically say, but then also trying to pitch it to her by saying, oh, you were doing good to people. You just have to reveal who your source is and then we can work together to make this public and we can make a buttload of money. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like all of that. I think that, again, this is great work from my main mean man, Jelko Ivanek. Uh, I love when it's like, if you collaborate with me, we could have champagne and win prizes. Uh, it's just, it's good, like, evil genius coming from this dude. Yeah, though it's, I feel like if it's just champagne and, and winning prizes that are you know, the the real uh, golden ring to grab onto. Julia could go into, like, Wheel of Fortune and not have to sanctify her morals by joining up with her ex-husband here. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's where we leave it. She's like, uh, he's like, take, take a minute to, to think it through. Lots of job opportunities for, for Juliet in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, th- um, I do think she's also a bit, you know, she's probably pretty uh, well-known in her field, and it's probably a pretty small field as well, that maybe there are other flashbacks where she's, off, you know, uh, contending with many, many job opportunities. We just happened to check out the one that ended up being the job that would change the rest of her life. Indeed, indeed. All right, so she's back on Hydra Island. She's just trying to figure out what to do. She's freaking out. Mr. Friendly shows up. Ben's awake. She's like, really? She's like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Don't worry about it. Um, meanwhile, Alex uh, is going to be getting out of the hole, coming out uh, with, with Sawyer and Kate. And it is a funny line of like, uh, so you do a lot of digging holes. This is one of your hobbies. She's like, yeah, that basket weaving. Want one? Yeah, she gives it right back to Sawyer, which is, which yeah. is good because somebody needs to get in the midst of all this danger even though sawyer that maybe makes sawyer even more wary of alex because he's like wait a minute she's a little too comfy about this and she's the you know uh she's showing up way too convenient right now to really lead us into safety she could very easily just lead us back to where they came from yeah uh so she's like okay so by the way i've got a boat got a boat uh i could totally use it so i was like what's the catch She's like, ah, well, so there is like a little rescue operation we got to go on. Uh, and then Sawyer's like, oh, it's that guy, Carl, right? Well, he did let me out the one time. I should probably return the favor. So let's sort of track Alex's inner monologue here. Because the last time we saw her, she, you know, despondently says to Kate, he'll kill your boyfriend just like he killed mine. Did she give it another thought and realize that Carl's not dead? Did she find out something? What made Alex change her mind to make her realize that Carl is alive? I don't know. Uh, Maybe she overheard Aldo talking to someone being like, he's a Rube 23. (laughs) God damn it, Aldo. (laughs) Yeah, it's just another thing that Aldo does wrong. Uh, I don't know, but she's figured it out. Um, Back at the operating room, (laughs) Jack with Ben, this is a great scene. Jack being like, so, just so you know, I stopped the surgery. Ben's like, oh, yeah, no, I know. I've been yeah, listening and for and he says, uh, a few minutes. Admittedly, I probably should have seen this coming. Like, oh, yeah, but this is poor on my part. LVP for, to me right now, Jack. Yeah, just to, you know, give me a demerit here. Uh, spoiler alert, I will be giving Ben an MVP point this week for being able to, to be so shrewd and calculating through the circ- circumstances. Uh, and I think that this would help uh, this fact that he's like self-aware here being like, you know, if you want to give me a demerit for that, I totally get it. Uh, you know, Ben, all things considered, I think you're handling this like a champion. I, I think uh, the anesthesia might help. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Like, I would, uh, I would, I would not be surprised if Ben ended the conversation by being like, all right, now, giant unicorn, can you please operate <laughs> on me again so rainbows can come flying out of your butt? I love when he's like, I want to talk to Juliet alone. Please, one gentleman to another. Yeah, and uh, I think this is sort of him implying that, like, they're both sort of vying for Juliet's affection, even though Jack has... He's like, no, 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 get me out of this love triangle. I'm already involved in one. Let's not make this two. Yeah, I want. I just want three minutes. And you know in other E's, that means like closer to a minute and a half. Yeah, this is so, so weird. It's not a lot is to that, ask Is this for. a mandated time by Ben that all meetings must be three minutes long or yeah. something? Yeah, three minutes. The three minutes are the best minutes. Uh, so he wants he wants to talk to Juliet, uh, and really great camera work as we follow Jack up, um, mm. and he's like looking down at everything. Yeah, it's, it's a great sort of flipping of the roles where Jack mm-hmm. is now the observer, looking down on them, sort of uh, making an observation about the power that he at least attempts to have at this moment. He isn't exactly on the same level as Juliet and Ben, but he holds their lives in his hands, much like they did a couple of episodes ago. 
Yeah, but there's also like he's in this position of power, but now he's also powerless to the information and he's trying to divine the information and he's watching from a distance and like there's the mirror work that's going on. You see them talking, but you can't hear what they're saying. Uh, it's a really cleverly done. One of my favorite shots of uh, a series of shots of the of the whole episode. And then one of my favorite lines from the entire episode happens here. Really quick sound. Number three. Let's listen in. I'm Tom, by the way. <laughs> Mr. Friendly, season three of Mr. Friendly is incredible. Like, MC Ganey finally just, like, being able to, like, characterize Tom now that the the, the beard is off, mm-hmm. the mask is off, uh, is, is just so, so much fun of him just, like, being, like, you know, he was, like, this huge specter of menace for so long. To the point where we thought he was the leader of the others until and we get now confirmed he's that he's not. <laughs> He's just Tom. Yeah, and I'm I mean, Tom, he was, he's essentially way. one second away from being like, "Hi, I'm Tom. I want to go th- throw the football around while they're talking." <laughs> pretty much, that's pretty much what's going on. I think, uh, I think Lost shouldn't have killed Tom Friendly where they killed Tom Friendly. It's tough because I like where it comes full circle. We talked about this in the hunting party. How I do like the runner of sort of like the Sawyer Tom Friendly contentiousness and the callback that comes in through the looking glass. What that's for the kid. But I do feel like you wonder in a world of like, much like we talked about in a world of what happens when Mr. Echo exists, like, could Tom Friendly and Ben have existed in a, and Juliet have existed in a similar universe where I feel like how much of those sort of uh, redemption story arcs for those characters get would get worked into Tom Friendly after the fact as well if he's a part of the main cast? I don't even need him to be part of the main cast. I think I, I'm, I'd be happy with him at like a Rose and Bernard level. Um, but I just feel like there was more to tell with Tom. Uh, than they ended up what doing. They, and I, and they, I think especially because MC Ganey started doing so much stuff with this character mm. and like making choices. Like he said, we talked about this uh, several weeks ago about how he made the choice that Tom Friendly was gay uh, and that was not like in the writing and it was something that the writers latched onto after they heard him talk about this. I think that the character was probably dead at that point or was going to be dead pretty soon anyway at that point. I just feel like this was a, a case of an actor doing... Like, really leaving his mark on a character. And one of the rare uh, examples of of Lost not really exploiting that. I think mm. like lo- one of Lost's great talents is an actor does incredible work with a character. And they're like, oh, that's really great. Let's experiment with that a little bit more. Maybe, uh, you know, it's tough. If you don't kill him, then we don't get him and meet Kevin Johnson. Which, again, your mileage may vary. About it varies. Um, but maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, you know, you do, again, we'll mention Aldo again, what they sort of did with him and some of the others in season six, like have him disappear for a while, but like make him a part of the whole temple stuff, have him run away with a bunch of the others at the end of season three. So maybe it'd be a bit of a, a yachtis for MC Ganey, but there, there could be another world where they bring him back in a limited capacity. Yeah, imagine Tom is there instead of uh, Lennon. You know, yeah, hanging out with Dogen. That would be yeah. much more meaningful, obviously, than just bringing in this rando character at the beginning of season three that now is supposed to be a part of the mythos. All right. So Juliet comes out of talking with Ben. Uh, she's coming out of talking with Ben. Uh, and Jack says, what, what are you going to do? She goes, OK, I want you to go and finish the surgery. I'm going to go help your friends escape. So uh, Juliet is officially on board. She has said something. She's had some exchange with Ben. 
that has now opened up the possibility that uh, that Kate and Sawyer might actually make it out of this thing okay. Yeah, and Juliet also shoots a look to Friendly of like, F yes, I'm doing this, and you can't yeah. stop me. You can't order me yeah. out of the room again. This is my call. This is my call. Um, uh, no, my call is uh, in the in the. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's in a little... Oh, actually, at this point, he probably made it out of his little dinghy and made it onto the fishing boat and probably told Walt at this point about the two people he killed in another three yeah. minutes. My call is Ben's man on the boat. Um, so let's talk about another other. Uh, here he is making his introduction, Woo-hoo! his debut on Lost, on Lost Down the Hatch. Let's listen in on uh, the, the whole scene here of the arrival of Nestor Carbonell's Richard Albert. Thank you for uh, taking the time to let us make our pitch, Dr. Burke. Middle uh, Bioscience is based in Oregon. We're just outside of Portland. Uh, <laughs> uh, these shots might seem a little cheeseball, but our people really are this happy. Now, why? Because we're privately funded. Privately funded means freedom. We organize trips every week in and around the Portland area, which is just awesome for hiking and biking and river running. Look, when you, your company, reached out to me, I was flattered, but I don't really know why you would want me. Is it true that you successfully impregnated a male field mouse? I didn't carry the term. Mind if I ask you something? Sure. What do you see? Well, it's a human womb, obviously. Judging from the decomposition of the endometrium, I would say that the woman was somewhere in her 70s. Actually, she's 26. What happened to her? What if I told you that you could have complete freedom and money to find out? (sighs) We think you're special, Dr. Burke. And we want you to lead a team of highly trained people because we think you're just that good. I can't. Why can't you? My ex-husband wouldn't let me. I... He wouldn't want you to have this opportunity? No, he doesn't want me to have anything. He would never give the okay. It's, Maybe uh... we could reach out to him on your behalf. Don't bother. If something that he would respond to. If you were hit by a bus, how about that? That would work. That was totally inappropriate. Oh, no, I, uh... I'm sorry, but I wasted your time. Dr. Burke, please. You, you, no, no you don't. I'm sorry. Whatever you think I am, I'm not. I'm not a leader, Mr. Albert. I'm a mess. Juliet, sometimes leaders can be messes. It's okay. <laughs> I love that line. I'm not a leader. I'm a mess. There's there's uh, so much so good. good stuff here. But the first thing I want to start out with is actually talking about the background stuff with the Middle O's presentation, because obviously that's bogus. But if you look into the behind the scenes stuff, it even paints a bigger picture as to how bogus that is. Because, Josh, I don't know if you recognize the photos, but two of them are from lost filming locations. Yes. Uh, yeah. Kulo Ranch. Yeah. So the, uh, like it's just very clearly the island. Which I love. I love the fact that they clearly just took pictures on the island and crudely photoshopped, even though <laughs> you can't photoshop a Polaroid at this point. I'm still putting my foot down on that. You can photoshop rando scientists into filming locations on the island to make it seem like uh, the Middle East is, you know, is, is really just the, the bastion of scientific achievery. Apparently also... 
uh, the people that they got sort of photographs from uh, from the island. Apparently, one of the photos was also doctored to replace a Jurassic Park sign with the Middle East sign. <laughs> yeah, uh, Richard Albert, man. Uh, it's sort of strange, though, to see if Rich- this is the Richard Albert debut when you like know the full Richard Albert well, yeah, backstory. Yeah, given the Abiturno of it all, which is like one <laughs> of the most like wackadoo <laughs> origin stories in lost just- history. To have him come here as like a generic guy in a suit pitching a shadow company for Dharma is like very much night and day. Yeah, this guy from the 1800s <laughs> who is immortal, from Canary <laughs> Islands, who's immortal, who had like a kabod crane hair, who like got into like this argument between God and the devil, and got into a knife fight with God, uh, who like who became, like and, who, like communed with his dead wife a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just funny to think like then he also like at some point in time he learned PowerPoint. Yep, exactly. <laughs> like he learned how to give like a basic presentation, but multiple times right because here's the thing middle East, this will not be the last time we hear about this because john locke in cabin fever is going to get a similar type of visit from richard albert not in a powerpoint style but more of an interactive style with a choose your weapon but he's going to be you know pimping out the middle East summer science camp so clearly middle East obviously means something else as as we talked about but richard has sort of become like the face of of Middleos. And yeah, I mean, this is obviously it's a big reveal at the time because we don't know who this guy is. Obviously, after the fact, now knowing who Richard Alpert is, it's very clear he is just duping Juliet into signing on to the Dharma cause. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see considering how much Richard is going to represent Jacob from here on out, even starting as, you know, soon as later on this season, to have him really serve as I'm, at the moment, I think representing Ben here is a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You see him again. I think the next time you see him is the man from Tallahassee. Uh, and that's when when Ben is going to show up to lock and bring him to uh, Anthony Cooper. Uh, and he's going to be pretty silent there. Um, but I think this must just be another one of those examples of they really liked what Nestor Carbonell was putting down just in the flashbacks of this episode. And man, his um, eyelashes to die for. Yeah, truly. Uh, so it's the beginning of the Richard Alpert arc. Yeah, and I, uh, and we'll, also, we'll have a lot more to tell. And I do love Juliet's sort of pulling a Katie Heron here from Mean Girls and manifesting that Edmund will get hit by a bus. We'll get into it, but she uh, she ends up planting that seed unintentionally. So yeah, we're not far away from that. All right. So the next part of this episode is called "The Gang Rescues Carl." And just yeah, shots of so. the island that they use in the PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, so here comes Skinny Mac. Yeah, uh, uh, it's, it's sad he got uh, sort of subdued, so he couldn't go into full Nightman Kung Fu mode to uh-huh. really take down them. But here he is, Rom Mechelani himself as Aldo, thumbing through a brief history of time as the only guard in 23. Yes, the erstwhile Ronald Mac McDonald, uh, before he became super jacked Mac, before he became fat Mac, he was just regular Mac, and he was Aldo here on the island. This is like a, this is a thing he does, right? Like he was allegedly, 
background player in Game of Thrones yeah. well, in think, one point well, I in think time. with that, it was uh, that D&D had also previously written on It's Always Sunny. Like, I think they made appearances on It's Always Sunny as well. They wrote on it. They cameoed on yeah, Always that, Sunny. I, I they, think this, I, they wrote and directed uh, Flowers for yeah, Charlie, and, and I, I believe. Think, uh, I believe that in this case, it wasn't that Lindelof and Q's had a connection. I think it's more so that, like, McElhinney and, and Lindelof were friendly, and I think McElhinney was probably one of those, like, big fans of the show that they said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll sure. give you a part yeah. on it. And to, to the sure. point where sure. he was such a famous friend that initially they had said that he had died. I think in the season three commentary, they said, like, yeah, and then, like, your, your Jasons and your Aldos all blew up in the tents, but I think, you know, McElhinney kind of pestered them for it, so they decided to bring him back for season six. Yeah, it's the final season. He must have been a huge fan, so so that's great. It's a shame that uh, Sweet D did not show up. No, as I well. believe she's the Hurley Bird, uh, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> bird, Hurley Bird, Hurley Bird. <laughs> uh, the full gang on the island would be incredible. I would love to see how they put Danny DeVito on there as Frank. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, if the if the gang recreated, like, did a Lost reboot. To the extent that they do their lethal weapon uh, oh, movies, no. <laughs> maybe I don't know. How I don't that, know about how Aldo. Then Aldo out. might get into some cancellation territory if if that's yeah, the case. I think I could see. Um, I could see Dennis Glenn Howerton. I can see him becoming like a Ben type, right? Especially if he, follow, if yeah. he uh, tries to yes. do the Dharma Initiative by the Dennis system. If it becomes the Dennis Initiative. <laughs> No, I think he th- he thinks he's Jack, uh, and he's right. Except he's like all of Jack's terrible impulses, right. uh, like just like the stalker version of Jack turned up to eleven. Uh, it, he's definitely he's definitely more Ben Linus than a than a Jack. I, I, w- I would want to see Frank really be like the Harper role of the therapist and just offer everyone eggs in these trying times. Yeah, I think Frank Frank would be a great uh, Ben Linus as well. Uh, he'd also just be a great monster, just like <laughs> yeah. running around making clickety clackety noises. I can see that he becomes like a man in black, where he takes that form. And I could imagine, unfortunately, like uh, Titus Welfare's like, "Damn it, I'm stuck in the form of Danny DeVito instead of Terry O'Quinn for the final mm-hmm. season." This isn't very good. I nah. can also imagine him as a Jacob, though. And like, you know, when you talk about, oh my God, why is Jacob making Ben do all these things? Like, wow, why did he send everyone on a, a spiral as to who pooped the bed? And Jacob just says, "Well, poop is funny. That's why I did it." Hmm. Sweet D is uh, a gender bent Sawyer. Mm, I could say that. Could could a uh, rickety cricket? Could he be like a um, Richard Alpert? Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> rickety <laughs> Alpert. I guess Charlie's and just the, Charlie. I guess the McBoyles can be all playing Ethan. The McBoyles are the others. Yeah, yeah, they definitely sure, are like the sure. ones that are way too into it. <laughs> anyway, it's great if you're an Always Sunny fan. It's fun to see Mac here. It's always rainy uh, on the he, island. He's Aldo. Uh, they they pull the the old uh, Wookiee prisoner. Which I, gag I forgot on him. this sort of outright reference because I know uh, I watched you know Once Upon a Time and they make reference to that. I had forgotten that Sawyer actually names the trope right here. Yes, the old Wookiee prisoner gag. He loves Star Wars. Not his first Star Wars reference. So uh, and then Kate says, "All right, we don't have time for this. I'm going to shoot him in the knee." Uh, and he gives I mean, up listen, the, we've the all seen whatever Carl. the case may be. We know she's capable of it, even if Sawyer doesn't. And yeah, I do love. Uh, I do love Kate's just matter of fact. It's like, God damn it. Okay, fine. I'll shoot him in the knee. Give me information. Yeah. I know what this is going to do. And then Sawyer's like, oh, good con. She's like, it wasn't a con. I was going to do it. I was totally going to do it. Uh, all right. So we go to room 23, and it's all of that garbage you heard at the top of the podcast. It's room 23. Uh, I, For whatever it's worth, I'm not like 
especially interested in Room 23, well, I, yeah, I, think, I guess. I think in retrospect... I don't like Room In retrospect, especially, especially, this is really weird for the sake of being weird. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. I actually think we could pitch a bonus podcast at some point about us just breaking down the Room 23 video because uh, the Season 3 DVD released the full video. I think, you know, we only saw about an, a minute and a half of it. It's a full three minutes, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in there that I think could be broken down in the whole, but... I think especially looking back on it, there's not a lot in there. You know, there is references to Jacob with God loves you as he does Jacob. Uh, you know, it's very clear that this is sort of done in the style of Clockwork Orange with brainwashing. You know, there's like the extinction of desire is Nirvana. There's also just a bunch of weird stuff thrown in there for the sake of being kooky. But I do think that this is something that doesn't play extremely well. Though maybe in the moment it's like, my God, what are these others doing? Yeah, I think it's this is the kind of thing that at the time, like, this was extremely my shit. And now that, like, Lost ended and I've gone back several times since and, like, I've refocused my energy on different aspects of Lost that I appreciate more than, like, that nitty gritty, like, clue seeking stuff. This clue seeking. Um, at the time. Yeah, I just, I just don't, I just don't really care that much for it unless it's like really 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 gripping and room 23 does feel like a little too lost experience especially since, especially like since this- it's only a minute and a half like what you played is the entire mm-hmm. they walk in there you know sawyer gets hypnotized a bit they take carl and they leave and they never speak of that again you know we had reference to it in the aforementioned three minutes here's my theory about this Josh, because I believe we only see male characters between Carl, Walt's reference, and then Jin is going to get brought in there by uh, Miss Knockoff Tina Fey Zoe in season six. My theory is that the Room 23 movie, for one reason or another, only works on males. Uh, Because if you Hmm. see, like, Alex gives it no time of day, Kate looks at it for like a second, but then goes to Carl Sawyer, can't keep his damn eyes off of it. yeah, I wonder true. if for some reason there's like biological images in there that maybe they feel like the uh, the men of the others are the more uh, stubborn wheels that they're going to need more grease from that perspective. But maybe for some reason, maybe the DeGroots and Oliver Hansel were studying just how different genders respond to different images on the screen. Yeah, they got to thaw those frozen donkey wheels. This is the... This is what thaws. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, maybe that uh, combines with the fertility issues. Maybe this is supposed to, I don't know, imbue them with like, you must have sex with people now so we can repopulate the island. So we'll we'll link to a bunch of Room 23 stuff in the show notes if you want to explore that a little oh, bit I will, more. I will say actually, uh, uh, sitting into my theory, isn't like the first thing they show is like, you must plant your seed and you will grow bountiful. Yeah. It's true. Uh, we'll link to uh, the the YouTube for the full Room Twenty Three video. There's an EW article with uh, Jeff Jensen and Damon and Carlton. Uh, there's a YouTube video that shows the Room Twenty Three video backwards because backwards there was uh, there was this quote uh, that you can you can hear. Uh, I forget what the exact line is. Uh, Only fools are enslaved by time and space, uh, which I think people read as because it is an anagram of bones of lost nadlers may right. lay, lay deep in cave and that's why people thought that rose and bernard were and adam and eve and darleton did say that there were easter eggs in this video that'll tell you who adam and eve are so i don't know i guess like jacob is in the video yeah. <laughs> and it's not jacob in the cave but he put the bodies and maybe there one of the dolls shown was a mother 
or looked a lot like Allison Janney. Uh, but also, I think if you look at it at the face, which is weird to say because it's also backwards talk that the Ys know how to use time and space perfectly, obviously references the fact that they are already going to be dealing with time travel or at least a time displacement from the island and off the island. This type of thing, actually, when I think about it, is just like not my favorite thing. Like I'm thinking of, uh, without spoiling Mr. Robot, there is a sequence at one point that if you watched Mr. Robot, you know, the land of Ecadelia. Yes, 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 yes. E. And so there's like a land of Ecadelia thing about Room 23 that I'm just not a huge fan of. I don't so want to spoil any Mr. Robot. It's not a Jenner is what you're saying. You know, yeah. So like, it's just, you know, this is just not my well, jam. I, well, I just think it thing. looks tougher on retrospect when it's like not exactly conducive to the main crux of everything as opposed to like the smoke monster could have easily become that had the whole man in black jacob thing not emerged at the end of, of season five and into the beginning of, of season six maybe if room 23 had played a larger part with like the mind control of it all this would have made a lot more sense or like the blast door map in season two but to your point it's it's a bit fruitless more so of a quality uh a thing to like really just create weird stuff I gotta say, though, uh, give it up to Giacchino. It's a bit of a bop. So I don't know how I like, you know, listening to it for hours on repeat with this movie playing over and over again in front of my eyes being held open. But I like listening to it for like an hour and a half or a minute and a half, I should say. An hour and a half is a long time to listen to that. A uh, minute and a half, I feel like, was probably too long as well. Should have shortened the clip. My bad. Uh, all right. So uh, they're going to they rescue Carl. We cut to commercial. We come back and it's Pickett waking up Aldo. Uh, and I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I didn't do it, I screwed up again, like the gang yeah, always does. Is, is Aldo uh, sort of like, is he the, the sweet D, or is he the Jerry Gergich of the others? Yeah, he's the Gary, he's uh, Gary I, I right now. I will say, though, uh, I guess Alex got a little lucky that Kate did what she did, because I will say, as much as we're lauding praise onto Alex for being able to save Kate and Sawyer, it was exactly not the best plan, because Alex is like, well, why don't you radio Ben if you really want to, you know, question my authority here? And he does just that, and it draws Pickett yeah, to them. So, that. like, it's a little short-sighted, but they ended up getting out here due to just Kate taking charge here. Uh, so Juliet's like, hey, Ben's awake. We need to save the people. That's the deal. And Pickett's not having it. Uh, he says, I know Ben would rather die than let them go, which turns out to be Pickett's final words. That's crazy. Uh, who would have thought? I guess Pickett is really trying to imbue himself with Ben at that point, being like, I'm going to play the role of Ben and that I will die and they'll be let go. I, I didn't know it worked like that, but I guess I just manifested it. Uh, so we go into a flashback and we find out that Juliet's work on Rachel, it has succeeded. It has worked. Rachel is pregnant. Um, this is very, very exciting. It's, 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 uh, it's, Rachel it's a very well done scene, too. Again, like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's tough always building in characters that we're, like, supposed to have emotional attachments to. That's why I sort of talked about the Kevin character from last week being a, a little bit of a misfire. But I think here, the two actresses just do a good job of really showing the role, that the, the relationship that these two sisters have. And even, like, Juliet's stunned into happily crying embrace of Rachel, I think it's just, it's a very short but sweet scene. Very, very good. And again, just great casting with Tyler's sister, Robin. Uh, it's just uh, incredible here. Uh, the flashback continues because uh, Rachel's like, why didn't you take the job? Portland's not that far away. Uh, and your stuff, it, it works, it works. I'm, I'm pregnant. I have to get healthy enough to see the little bugger go off to an Ivy League school, but it works and you should go rub it in Ed's face and so juliet goes off to do exactly that 
Because you're insufferable and, and you're mean. Well, you asked me for the truth, Mom, and that's Ed. Uh, let me call you later, okay? Hello, Jules. What's up? She's pregnant. Excuse me? It worked. Rachel's pregnant. Julia, that's... Wow. Uh, I need uh, I need to see your labs. We'll have to verify the data. Gonna... No. I'm not interested in publishing, Ed. It's my sister. Fine, then. If you're not interested, why are you concerned? <laughs> it's great it's all great. right so great. we gotta get into this <laughs> bus driver absolutely an aoj right bus driver is straight up richard alpert you, you, you think know so? not only did he learn uh powerpoint but he learned uh he got his bus driver wow, uh honeymooner yeah. style richard alpert becomes a bus driver but yeah, i mean nestor carbonell has confirmed in interviews that uh the bus accident was no accident i also believe if you watch the scene and you see the, the wide shot of juliet approaching edmund that you can actually see the bus like at a standstill in the background. So no matter who was driving the bus, it's very clear they were waiting for this to happen. They probably knew his schedule, knew he would be walking out of this meeting and decided to take advantage of the moment to run him over in true quote-unquote irony, even though it was Juliet who ended up sort of accidentally, uh, you know, sort of determining his fate. Yeah, we got a question in from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick this week asking, what is Richard's doctorate in? And my answer to that, uh, Brendan, would be bus driving. Wow, where did you get that from? He's a doctor of busing. Well, I did not realize. Are all bus drivers possessing that doctorate as well? Um, I think it is possible, Dr. yes. Doctor bus driver? Uh, or it's not that, no, but like you can get your doctorate. So it's possible. It's just that not exactly achieved at this point. Dr. Bergen, yes, yes. So, uh, you know, these are these are possibilities. But, uh, but yeah, Edmund, uh, a terrible guy, considering that one of his last com- his last conversation with his mom is where he tells her she's, you're insufferable. He's, she's horrible you're and insufferable, which, look, she could be, but you don't say that to your mom's face. Like, save that for succession, not on Lost. Uh, so funny, so funny. Uh, the all the worst cowboys have mommy issues. I don't know what he does here is just uh, it's a, it's a really funny send off to the character. If this guy just being like kind of pathetic, yeah. But it, the uh, weird thing is, Elizabeth bus. Mitchell's look on her face. I don't know if it's just that like she does not do surprised in a as big of a way as other characters. I couldn't tell if she was stunned or not at what happened. Um, I think that she was stunned. Yeah, I guess maybe I was expecting more of like a wide eyed thing. From Elizabeth Mitchell, but maybe it's just her face did not uh, express as much of that emotion as maybe I'd initially thought. Yeah, no, I think uh, she doesn't seem uh, not surprised to me. I think, uh, you know, you see a guy just get hit by a bus after like, you know, two hours after saying, I hope he gets hit by a bus is probably going to throw you for a I will say good on Richard Alper then for really mobilizing the troops. Maybe, yeah, he got there Maybe, quick, maybe he, fast, had, he had to get his fast, doctorate fast. in two hours in bus driving to be able to get behind the wheel in the first place. Well, you wonder, like, is this a thing where Jacob came off island with him and did he, like, tap uh, Edmund on the shoulder? And so, like, by tap or tap the driver on the shoulder and get everybody in the right place at the right time? That seems very Jacoby. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it could just be a thing. 
Does he like short term lease those powers to people? Right, like can Albert do mm. that? Like it's like a, a six hour thing, maybe. Like okay, you're you're yeah. ours for the next like here, take off the rest yeah. of the day. You're going to be our sort of uh, employee for a little bit. Like drink this orange juice, and for six hours you will have Jacob. Really putting skills. the OJ and AOJ. You know, so I think uh, I think that's possible. Well, we know that Richard Albert loves to use his orange juice. Um, so I wonder. I wonder. Um, so Edmund's dead. That's great. Bon Voyage, a uh, really fun one-and-done Jelko Ivanek performance. I, I really enjoy everything that he contributed to this episode. Uh, I think, like, you have to be, like, a certain level of, like, skillful douche to get, like, squashed the way mm-hmm. he gets squashed and, in And this in such scene. a cathartic way, too, right? And have it be, like, somewhere in between, like, shock and catharsis, <laughs> you know? Like, and, and a little bit of, like, oh, wow! Like, to have all of those reactions, I think, like, you need to be invested in a bad guy, uh, and it's such old hat for him at this point uh, as an actor <laughs> that uh, I think he just does a, yeah, a really, like, really uh, great job. like, what do I have job. to do? Okay, be a jerk-ass and then die in a, yeah, in a really yeah. cruel and, <laughs> and, you know, really gory way? All right, sure, when you need me, bye. It's great. It's great. Um, all right. So back in surgery, uh, shades of Hurley as Mr. Friendly's like, I'm not so good around Yeah, blood. so is he... I couldn't tell if he was breathing into an oxygen mask or just breathing into a surgical mask. I couldn't tell the utility yeah, with the latter. <laughs> I think it was like breathing into a paper bag, Yeah, so like he's hyperventilating he at this point. And also yeah. like, dude... Friendly, when Jack says is really trolling you and being like, oh, so you don't want to see this, don't look over at it. I know you're tempted, but you just said that you don't like blood. Yeah, so Mr. Friendly is about to, like, give some information up that they can't get off island right now because the sky turned uh, purple. Beep, 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 but, beep, 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 Yeah, very convenient. Very convenient timing that Jack uh, clips an artery, this time by mistake, so now we've got a little bit of an emergency situation. Uh, an even more pressing emergency on the beach as Sawyer, Kate, Alex, and Carl step up to the outrigger. Sawyer puts Carl in the outrigger, and Carl sees someone coming. <laughs> He's like, Danny. And Sarah goes, no, Sawyer. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's listen in. Okay? Danny. No, Sawyer. Danny. she wrote for Danny Pickett. He got shot. He got shot, not shocked. Although he also got shocked, yeah. not shocked. Real uh, shot, shocked, double feature here for... Yeah, shocked and for shocked. For Danny Pickett. So what do we think? So Kate was about to, you know, she really throws herself to Sawyer. I was trying to figure out, because, you know, in the frozen aftermath afterwards, she's, like, caressing Sawyer. Was she trying to make him dive out of the way? Was she going to take the bullet? What was Kate's intention there? Um, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I don't know. May, like, if it, if it's the latter, wow. Talk about the sacrifice that Jack makes, but Kate nearly killed herself to protect Sawyer, which is absolutely crazy. Maybe I should be questioning my idea that maybe she's not in love with Sawyer at that moment. Otherwise, if it was just to tackle him out of the way, it's probably the more 
practical thing, but I just I just thought that was interesting. Maybe at this point they've been around uh, Pickett long enough to know that like he's had a thousand chances to just <laughs> he's like, got terrible kill them aim. We just have to move one inch to the left and he'll miss. Terrible, terrible aim. He can't kill without getting a word in edgewise. Like even if Juliet hadn't shown up right when she did, Pickett was probably going to drag this out for another ten minutes. Mm. So I guess we can sort of do a moratorium on Pickett here, because I do feel like he was sort of, as much as we talk about Ben, he was sort of like the primary aggressive antagonist for the first six episodes. My theory, Josh, is that I think Pickett walked so Kimi could fly. I think when Mm. we look to Kimi in season four, who, spoiler alert, I really do love the character of Kimi for what he is, which is just a brazen a-hole in so many ways. I do feel like they were able to test the waters a bit with like, all right, let's just put like a really unlikable, aggressive character out there and see what happens. And I think they were able to use him effectively in that role. Yeah, I think uh, that that all plays for me. Uh, I think that that, that makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of this, of this like kind of like piloting out Kimi. Um, I do think that we don't remember Pickett very well. I think we'll remember him here on Down the Hatch because he's always going to be uh, spoken of as one of the great LVPs of yep. Lost, if not the great LVP of Lost. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, but Michael Bowen does a does a great job being a very loathsome guy. You know, speaking of that skill from Jelko Ivanik, uh, this is something that Michael Bowen possesses for sure as well. Uh, again, zero spoilers about. Breaking Bad, but Michael Bowen is an actor on Breaking Bad. He plays a character named Uh Uncle Jack, who is uh, a fairly loathsome guy who does some fairly loathsome things (laughs) (laughs) on Breaking Bad. Uh, And uh, I think that he he does like he he plays a nasty character really really well. And these two characters, Pickett and Uncle Jack. Uh, you wouldn't. I don't think that you would look at Pickett and be like, "Oh, that's the Uncle Jack actor." Right. Like, I don't think that you would connect those two necessarily. Um, so I think another another testament to this being an actor who can blend into his badness, uh, pretty pretty well. So, uh, yeah, we're good, we're dinging up Pickett, but that's mostly because the character is pos uh, as well as kind of an AOJ, I guess. Uh, but he is, uh, I think, portrayed really yeah. well. Uh, so good good work from Michael Bowen. Um, but probably great, for great, the best that we kill him here. And great aim by Juliet, considering that she is really substantiating how much big of a badass she is right now in that she says, like, look, go out and kill them. If we thought that wasn't as much of a, a dark turn, she ends up killing one of her own. She ends up shooting Danny Pickett to let Kate and Sawyer get away, which is already... We got traipses of this in the message to Jack a couple episodes ago, but this really does show that Juliet at this point is an anti-other working with the others. Uh, Daniel Brennan wrote in and asked, why did Juliet kill Danny? Um, was there a way that this could have worked where Pickett didn't have to die right there, Mike? Why do you think she kills Pickett? I think as long as Pickett's alive, he's going after Sawyer. And so I think if she's trying to live up to Jack's end of the bargain... And, you know, keep them alive. I think it's it's tough to really do that because the minute that Pickett comes out of his restraints or, you know, gets resuscitated or whatever, he's going to take off on his own. He's going to grab his own damn boat, go to that island and kill Sawyer in cold blood. And so I do think that that Juliet, I think, maybe still wants to work with Jack. 
maybe there's an emotional quality there that she associates with him and says, all right, this is the only way I can get rid of the picket problem, considering that she gave him an order and he disobeyed it. As yeah. recently as like 15 minutes ago, she tried all she could. The only way to really solve this problem is in cold blood. Do you think that like, she should have just been like, pick it. You got to stop or I'm going to shoot you. Like, should she have given him that last chance? I mean, he still would have gone for it and she still would have killed him. So it's, it really is just sort of cutting out the middleman, not to be confused with the, uh, the lost experience character in that it, I think it's just sort of, uh, it was an inevitable reaction. Cause I do mm-hmm. think that again, Pickett was so blind to the outcome. He had the guy right in front of him. I think there is a 0% chance that if she gave that threat, he wasn't going to go for Sawyer. Yeah. You do wonder, too, because like, uh, Juliet and Colleen seemed like they weren't on good terms. Did Juliet and the Pickets just not get along? So maybe yeah. she's just like, this is a great great opportunity to yeah, wipe this the is Pickets the, off the yeah, board. Exactly. Like, get rid of my number one enemies yeah. here. Like, now the slate is wiped clean. You know, we know that Juliet doesn't get along with some of these others, right? Like, maybe they were friends with Goodwin's wife, and so there was always some uh, agitation towards, the, uh, towards Juliet from the Pickets. Uh, it's possible. Maybe she maybe she's pissed off at, at Danny just being like, "This is how you shoot a gun," and she's like, "Oh, whoops! Well, I, sh- I taught that lesson to him, and that turned out to be his final lesson." It's possible that Pickett had just wasted so many bullets along the way that no one's really going to miss him. This is like uh, resource conservation, exactly. Like, oh, he's uh, really is is uh, not exactly the best performer amongst the others. So this is just a firing more than anything. Emphasis on firing. So Juliet's going to say, "All right, kids, get out of here, you crazy kid. Not you, Alex. You got to stay." Uh, we know your dad's gonna be soups mad if you leave, and I was like, ah, oh, shucks, you're right. And so she yeah. has a final goodbye with Carl. I was like, hey, Alex. Yeah, which is it's, it's tough. Like I know the circumstances that Carl is obviously like loopy doopy right now, but it's kind of a non-emotional reunion. Though again, these are characters that we had never seen in a scene together up to this point. So it was it was tough to sort of fill in those blanks for the I two know, actors. I, I think that part of the point of Carl is that he's sort of this. You know, he's a little derpy. He's just sort of like a little <laughs> bit of a goof. Uh, you know, he's, he's just like, kind of like this kid, uh, he's like fairly harmless. And I think that you, you get that energy from him here. I, I, I always liked this scene. I thought it was pretty sweet. I'm a little surprised they didn't put the Ivy up his nose considering there's a lot of real estate there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Juliet hooks them up with a radio to talk to Jack. Uh, also not only did the radio get shot out of Kate's hand earlier, but when Alex, uh, and Sawyer and Kate, uh, incapacitated Aldo Alex just like stomped out the radio. Yeah, that feels like that was a mistake. <laughs> these things, what, they need to invest in better radios because yeah. these apparently are like plastic toys that can break very, very easily. Yeah, they're like glass. The glass radio, <laughs> let alone Valrina, uh, Glass Valrina Incorporated. Uh, so Julia's going to hook them up with a radio. And this is going to lead Jack uh, and Mr. Friendly are still in surgery. And poor, the radio poor call, Tom, Mr. I, I very much like Hurley, like you said, Mr. I hate blood now has to be sucking blood out of Ben's wound. Yeah, uh, luckily with, you know, with tools rather than, you know, with his mouth. Uh, that would be horrible. Um, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or maybe like an airport door or something. The radio call is going to come in. We'll, we'll play the full audio here. It's a it's a bit of a long one, uh, but a really great scene that uh, answers the cliffhanger from I do. Let's listen in. Jack, are you there? Alright, hold that up to me. The walkie, hold it up to me. What about the surgery? Just do it! Yeah, I'm here, Kate. You okay? Yeah, 
I we've got a boat. They're letting us go. Who's letting you go? The blonde woman. So you're safe, you and Sawyer? Yes, yeah. Tell me. Tell you. First day on the beach, the day of the crash, the story that I told you. If you're safe, tell me. This is the best time. Shut up! Kate, because you did get wrong that Jack said the nerves spilling out were like angel hair pasta. I know. That important distinction. You said that it was like angel hair pasta, and honestly, every time I think of pasta, (laughs) when I'm at my hungriest here on the island, I suddenly lose my appetite. (laughs) What's wrong? And Jack's like, oh, yes, that's what I really needed. I just had this revelation, Josh, how much this scene mirrors the finale of the series. Uh, particularly, you know, the use of life and death uh, a bit obviously plays into the finale a lot. But this idea of Jack sort of sacrificing himself so that Kate and Sawyer, as well as some other people, and end up leaving the island and via boat. Getting away. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually... So this time leaving Hydra Island for the island as opposed to the island for Hydra Island. Yeah, very oddly similar parallels. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's like a nice little prescient moment, but it also speaks towards Jack's nature as well. I think this is, a you know, a very noble move from Jack where... You know, I think this whole time, even when he he made this sort of gambit at the end of, of episode six, I don't think he necessarily thought he would get off the island. This is clearly a thing of, uh, you know, I may die alone, but at least I can live together for one second and protect these other people who need it ahead of me. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant thing that Jack does. I'm a little confused as to, I can understand why Kate's crying when Jack tells her to go without him. I'm not sure why Kate's crying when she's telling the story. To Jack, they've been through so much. You know, a lot has happened since then. Like, I think like the the lives they lived before they crashed here must feel like you know so many lifetimes ago because this feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, just like two months feels like a lifetime ago for these people. Uh, and I think like the direness of the of the circumstances and like relocating herself back to the first time she met Jack in this situation. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's pretty understandable to me why she's feeling emotional about all of this. And I think, like, the the very likely possibility, because, like, yeah, they're about to escape, but what's going to happen to Jack? She has no idea. Yeah, for all she knows, they're going to kill Jack for what he just did of, like, well, this is your insubordination, so you're going to be executed. They just saw what they did to Carl. She can imagine a lot worse with Jack. So I definitely understand her emotion behind him saying you have to leave me behind because essentially this is her saying goodbye to him and she right. doesn't necessarily get that closure i will also say though uh very very nice that the one story that jack asked kate to relay was one where he screwed up during surgery and was able to save himself yeah it worked out pretty well but maybe that's why he had the idea uh and maybe that was why uh he was like saying like Tell me that story and think like if you forgot like think about the context that we're currently in and how this connects to that and you'll remember the angel hair pasta. <laughs> exactly. Or like, I don't know, maybe, I, obviously I don't think he predicted he would accidentally nick the artery, but maybe he's like, okay, I need to get my groove back. So even yeah. though I purposely nicked the <laughs> kidney sack, I need to, to get back into my groove. So Kate, tell me this story. This is like my pump-up music. I'm in the locker room, ready to go out for quarter four. Yeah, that's a, a different thing that uh, Matthew Fox is involved in. This is a football movie. Is he? Yeah, it's, it's We Are Marshall. Oh, oh, yeah, he does. I believe he plays the the coach. He's an assistant coach with Matthew McConaughey, I believe. Yeah, and I believe he stretches Matthew McConaughey out. Hey, it's him in the middle of the Amazon. I don't. I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't think I saw it. So I don't know. That could be real. I think that's canon from We no Are idea. Marshall. <laughs> I don't know. I have not seen We Are Marshall. Just know it's a thing. Um, but yeah, uh, as I mentioned before, I do love the use of life and death. I think it's it's symbolic about yeah. how uh, Jack is sacrificing himself, but also that like this part of the story is dying, except for a Stranger in a Strange Land. And here comes Sawyer, Mister Wind Expert, with you know, the trades are coming up. We better push off. Well, he did spend, you know, some time around the raft operation. Yeah, I do wonder so how much, he, like, nautical jargon was Michael putting out there. Picked up a thing or two. Uh, we get to the, basically the end of the episode where Ben's recovering from surgery and Jack is watching and Juliet shows up. Uh, and he says, like, okay, it's the operation was a success. You, want, you may want to biopsy yeah, it like, to, uh, to the, the tumor's tumor. gone and he holds it up like he did with Mr. Friendly and throws it on Juliet's face. Yeah. Uh, they're going to send him back to his cell as they try and figure out what the hell to do with him. Jack's going to want to know, what did Ben say that made you want to save his life? She says, it doesn't matter. 
says, it matters to me. And after everything I've been put through, you owe me an answer. Uh, so she's going to give him the answer. But first, we will go for one final flashback where Juliet is going to be in the presence of her dead ex-husband. And somebody else is going to come walking up. And that is going to lead us into the final act of this episode. Have we met? Hello, Dr. Burke. Mr. Albert? I'm uh, so sorry for your loss. What are you doing here? I saw what happened on the news and uh, your office said you were down here. I just wanted to express my condolences in person before I went back up to Portland. This is Ethan. He's one of my colleagues. It's a pleasure to meet you. hit by a bus. I know. They, they say you were there when it happened. It must have been... No, no. In our interview, I said, I said that I wanted, I wanted him to get hit by a bus. Dr. Burke, I, I realize you're a little uh, shook up right now, but th- this is just a tragic accident. You can't blame yourself. I don't even remember you saying that. Why are you here, Mr. Albert? Look, uh, I know the timing is horrible, but we came because we're that serious about getting you to come work with us. <laughs> Just give us six months. If you need to, be back before your sister gives birth. How did you know that my... Well, we're very uh, thorough in our recruitment process. She wouldn't have access to the treatment that she needs. But it's Portland. There's plenty of clinics. In well, actually, we're not quite in Portland. Not the least of which is the fact that uh, Richard Alpert says we're not quite in Portland, which is not quite the name of the episode. Yeah, I, I will say I don't really like the name of the episode just because I don't know it does it doesn't feel very indicative to what's going on. I guess they are literally it's like not in Kansas anymore is kind of the idea. I yeah, think. but sort of again, yeah. like it feels like it's not exactly going for it. I, I'm uh, not really. Should I call it Room Twenty Three? Room Twenty Three could be interesting. 
or like I don't know, Escape from Hydra Island might be too on the nose, but like Escape. That's not helping anything. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hey, Dan, so Danny, no, no Sawyer could be a, uh, a fun. One. I don't know. I feel like some the bus driver could have been. Good. I think something themed around Escape because obviously that's uh-huh. going to be the 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 main focus of this entirely. That I feel like it could, might as well show its hand and do something themed around that instead of like them making reference to the fact that they're she's not going to Portland. Yeah, I I'd be fine with that as well. Uh, another couple of things to to pick at from here is uh, to pick at uh, from here <laughs> is Ethan is going to be the one who like hands her the tissues and like we see Ethan early on in the episode. Now we see Ethan here as well. You connect that he's part of the the middle O's effort, right? I think I'm um, going to assume that he's sort of as like uh, if we're going with the orphan black vernacular that they each have like a handler i can imagine that ethan is sort of juliet's handler that he was sort of tracking her he is a medical professional so he could blend it easily you know not for nothing um juliet delivers ethan that's oh yeah that's true uh you know when juliet gets thrown back in time she's going to successfully deliver ethan uh and so ethan may want to meet this woman how i know the woman who gave birth to me <laughs> yeah how i met the woman who helped my mother give birth to me yeah it's, it could be a snappier uh, title but maybe that's why ethan is so creepily fixated on her like when it cuts to william mapather he's like all right you want me back for this episode what what do i need to do okay just stare at her great i can do that i'm like zelko i can do that any day just give me a call he's ready he's ready to go so he's got that on lock uh and i i like to think that he's just like fangirling so hard of being like oh this is the one she's gonna do it and we know that she does it in the past so it's very likely she's gonna fix her problem here and she gave birth to me oh. she delivered me do you think maybe juliet had her own desmond-esque tinge of deja vu and it wasn't that she recognized ethan from that dingy hallway but she recognized ethan from giving birth to him maybe maybe she doesn't give birth to him we should clarify I mean, sorry she is she helps deliver the baby yeah, I don't think it's how uh, science works. But then again, she also impregnated a male field mouse, so who knows? Yeah, like that very uh, in the style of Junior. I can't wait for that mouse to turn to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Another thing that I really like is when Richard Alpert's like trying to downplay the bus. Yeah, accident. like he's, he's like, yeah, I don't even oh remember my you God, saying gaslighting that. Gaslighting to a T. <laughs> yeah, but like the look on Nestor Carvinal's face too. Like he can't even make eye contact. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I don't even remember you said it. Yeah, what? Yeah, I don't even remember you mentioning it. What bus? That's a really tragic accident. I didn't hear. It. I didn't hear that part. But he also says we're that serious about you getting to work with us, which again is really underlined to be like we're going to kill your ex husband with a bus because we need you on the island that much yeah uh so that's that's great um and then the the end of the episode of her revealing i've been here for three years and change ben promised i can leave and then the music sort of takes this ominous turn yeah it goes from it goes from like kind of hopeful to sort of sinister and scary uh and it's focusing on jack at that point and on the first blush of of this rewatch i didn't love that that was the note that this episode ends on but i i actually kind of like it in hindsight and and listening back to it just now and like processing it a little bit more because for jack what he thinks he wants more than anything is to get the hell out of here Mm -hmm. right that that's going to solve all of his problems but actually leaving which is something that's going to happen uh is going to be a catalyst for some of the worst mistakes that he ever makes uh so the fact that like this idea of like going home 
isn't necessarily this great happy thing that you can't really go home, that I'm sorry that this is the direction your life turned in, but you can't go back to what it was, um, that it has this tinge of darkness over it, I think plays well in the mm-hmm. in the greater Lost arc, but certainly in the, the Jack Shepard arc. This three minutes is really fun to me. Again, it's three minutes, go figure, because it also shows between the flashback and this final scene what the others can do to a quote-unquote normal person. Because, again, we see Juliet, granted she has a bit of uh, difficult life circumstances, but she seems like a relatively okay person. And we see her sort of get duped into this whole scheme to get turned into the person that she is. But as much as we talked about the disparity between flashback Juliet and modern-day Juliet in this episode, we get a tinge of flashback Juliet here at the end when she sort of shows a bit of emotion in front of Jack and says, like, look, you think I am this evil person who works with a shadowy other organization, but I am just like you. I want to get off this island as well. And I think that is going to really fortify a lot of her character moving forward. That's going to deal with the whole sub stuff. Obviously, it's going to deal with the whole Kana stuff in season four. So I love the way that the pivot this character now, where again, the first six episodes, we were getting to know her, but we didn't really know what her deal was. This episode did a really nice job of essentially giving us like the I am statement of Juliet, both in the past and in the present. And actually to bring in a bit of the Jim Fell stuff, because you talked about the music, Josh. Yeah. So the theme that plays in this final scene is actually Desmond's theme, which you would think, again, is weird at first watch, but actually makes a lot of sense. These are two characters who were not on 815, who we just saw come to the island in very different ways. You could arguably, depending on your theory with Desmond and Widmore, you could say they were both duped to come onto the island and stayed there for much longer than they were supposed to, and they both want to get off the island. And so it'll actually segue really nicely into next week in that those two characters are more similar. We're not going to get a Juliet theme coming up this week. That won't come until, I think, a couple of episodes from now. But there is some surprising connection between those two characters. Um, I have a question for you as a as a non sequitur as we're starting to move into um, getting to the MVP LVPs. Um, we've been keeping track of the Ben Linus beatdowns over the course of his time on Lost thus far. Do we have to rank what happens to him here? Uh, mm-hmm. Does this count as one of the beatdowns of Jack? Like whether we want to credit it to like the intentional uh, botching of the surgery or the unintentional botching of the surgery, or the combination intentional, unintentional botching of the surgery, like the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell? <laughs> like, do we count that on the, the BLB counter? I don't know. Like, that feels, I don't know, beat down, maybe that's just me sort of pigeonholing beat down the word itself into, like, physical violence. I feel like it's like when he's when when people are either putting hands or weapons on Ben. Yeah. And I think this is a weapon though, technically. Right. But it doesn't feel like I wouldn't call like surgery wielding a weapon. You know? Well he, it's not really surgery if he's like then like slicing a kidney sack. I mean it's still part of surgery. It's a surgical move, but it's like uh with the intention of potentially killing a man within an hour right so if i had a knife and i stabbed someone would i be a surgeon then by that logic no but i'm using a weapon to kill somebody i you have completely lost me on this one (laughs) 
I'm I'm in the weeds now. I have no idea how that relates to this. No, I, it's not. I just wanted to bring it up to see if you could get away with stabbers no. resurgence. No, I don't think so. I thought I could get I away with it. I, yeah, I don't know. It feels like a bit of a stretch. Leave to me. it to the people. People, if you want us to rank uh, where where Ben, I mean, they're going to uh, say yes. When we leave it to the people, they're going to say yes. So not always. Not always. I don't know. I, I feel yeah. like if that's the case, we might as well put it on. But then, in the- all right, let's just put it on. What's, what's so this is where where it stands so far is that we've got uh, we've got it in chronological order. Uh, in in first place, it's Daniel harpooning Ben. Right. Uh, in second place, it's, it's Saeed beating Ben up. Uh, both of those are from one of them. In third place, it's Schrodinger's shelf, whether Ben beat himself up or the shelf beat Ben up. In fourth place, it's Locke beating Ben up with a crutch. And in fifth place, it's Sawyer punching Ben in the mouth. If we are to rank this one, Mike, I think we are finally breaking chronological order. Yeah. I just don't know where we're slotting It's this. tough because this is the most Ben's life has been at stake but there's something like more visually appealing to the harpooning and particularly the beatdown that Saeed gives to the hatch I I would put it after that yeah I, th- I think it could go above Schrodinger's shelf and that is more dangerous than the shelf even though uh, Ben was knocked out for a portion of time that indeed the button could have gone up up and the world could have ended but I think you know, if if we're counting the surgery in terms of how life threatening it is, that definitely bumps it up a few notches. I think we could put that in third place. I think that that works for me. Uh, very calculated, shrewd move from Jack, but it's just not as visceral as the one-two punch uh, and <laughs> harpooning. Punches. Yeah, the one, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 2342 uh punch yeah do you think uh, Saeed got to 17 and he's like oh got to get to 23 that's a number yeah i gotta get to 23 now yeah i gotta gotta land it on a number all right so we can put ben surgery in number three speaking of points that are a little less controversial or at least we know that we're always given points out it's the 23 point section mike we've got some mvps lvps you've got three mvps i've got three lvps two mvps you've got two lvps uh why don't you take us for a spin this is tough because i'll say outright you're giving a point to juliet yeah, so am I. So yeah. that's two well, points well, no, Juliet. the question is, I'm not sure if I want to give a point to Juliet or Jack, because I think Jack does something really noble here, but I don't know if him accidentally cutting the artery <laughs> docks him enough, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that like he got that point last week, like the plan kind of gets out of his hands this week. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he does sort of earn points like in retrospect last week as well. For his plan did succeed, and he does end up writing things at the end by making this noble sacrifice to basically, again, you could say going in that I don't think he ever had any intention of leaving the island with Caden Sawyer, but he really formalizes it here. So maybe those points in retrospect also honor his sacrifice. So you convince me. I'll throw another point out for Jules, Julie, Blondie, whatever you want to call her. It's a great Elizabeth Mitchell episode. And she like she adapts, you know, very quickly she gets like thrown under the bus. No, that's her husband. But she gets like <laughs> in front you know, of the bus. You know, she gets like kind of thrown under a metaphorical bus uh, by Jack, and she recovers from it pretty well. And she goes out and she takes matters into her own hands. Uh, and it's just uh, she also you know gets her sister pregnant. The, yeah. the thing works. Yeah, she does. Like uh, she does like breakthrough, never before seen science on someone that she loves. She's, 
such an MVP, Mike, that people are willing to drive a bus into another human being in order to recruit her to their cause. So she is like a, you know, a prized person in this episode. Uh, the MVP for me is very clear, and I think she deserves two points this week for sure. One from you, one from me. Makes sense. Well, speaking of the bus, I'm going to give a point to Richard Alpert in his debut episode because he is successfully able to dupe Juliet to get onto the island, which was really the plan to begin with, because as we'll see in future flashback episodes, they very easily hold Juliet on the island for much longer than those six months they initially promised. So even though he was just getting the hang of PowerPoint and just got his doctorate in bus driving, a job well done for Mr. Alpert's debut. Very much so. Uh, I'll give my second of two MVP points to Ben Linus for the reasons outlined earlier. Uh, Really uh, got the three C's here. Cool, calm, collective. Uh, while he's on the operating table. It's very impressive stuff. And a D for doped up. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. going to give my final point as a bit of a mea culpa from last week. I'm going to give it to Alex for actually being able to use her slingshot well and going through with her plan and getting Carl off the island. Granted, she had to stay behind, but sort of like in a jack way. I think it's a plan is successful in that she was able to get the people that she wanted out of Ben's hair. So look at this, Josh, for the first time ever in all other MVP. Oh my, look at that. That's good. Uh, Alex does destroy the radio. Yeah, but I think that's more so the radio earning LVPs. <laughs> uh, well, I've got three LVPs, and much like Juliet shoots Pickett a bunch of times, I'm just going to fire them all at Pickett. Because uh, I know that you're going to give Edmund, you're going to run the bus over Edmund and then reverse it, right? Yeah, one of, the, one of the biggest one-time jackass characters in Lost. Yeah. It would make sense to like just send him off with as many points as possible. Well, you've got you've got him covered, and Pickett dies in this one. Uh, and I just never want to forget Pickett, so let's just load him up. Uh, that gives Pickett uh, negative nine, which here I believe makes him uh, makes him pass Tony Coops. Uh, even though we're going to get some more Anthony Cooper in several episodes, I yeah. like Pickett's currently the number one LVP in Down the Hatch. Pickett is, Pickett is currently the least valuable player uh, on Down least the Hatch. Pickett. It's ne- it's negative nine for season three, but it's actually negative ten overall because we we docked him one for his first appearance in three minutes. Right. Uh, so he so ends out. in double digits because I'm assuming I can't remember if Pickett comes back even when they do the other flashbacks in the rest of the series. I think this is it. I'm pretty sure this is it for him. So uh, yeah, he's crossed double dig. He will stay there first across double dig in the LVP category. Uh, he will not be the LVP overall. No. Uh, Anthony Cooper will definitely surpass him at some point this season. Uh, but let's enjoy it while. We got it loaded up on pickets. Uh, Juliet is still the uh, the MVP of the season so far. Yeah, she uh, she those... widens her lead now mm-hmm. by another two, especially over Sawyer, uh, who was the number two. Though who knows? You know, now that we're starting to, you know, she had her big Hydra arc. It's not like we're saying goodbye to Juliet, but I think with a certain character coming around with certain abilities starting next week, uh, that might change things a bit. 4.2 stars. Uh, I'm giving Not in Portland a 3.9. It is easily my third favorite from uh, this batch so far. Um, it is probably, for me, like it, it's comparable to A Tale of Two Cities. I think that they're probably about the same quality episode. I think, by and large, I enjoy Not in Portland more than A Tale of Two Cities. But the thing that separates them is A Tale of Two Cities has a sequence that is so next level that it elevates it a mm-hmm. bit with the opening. And for Not in Portland, I really don't care for the Room 23 stuff, so I think like it docks it a little bit. So that's like the the splitting the hair between a 4 for A Tale of Two Cities and a 3.9 for Not in Portland for me. So I'm giving a 
3.9 to, to not in Portland. I agree with you that this is my third favorite episode of the season so far. And I was really veering between like a 3.6 and a 3.7 personally, because I'll say what I said before. I think that this is the most solid episode of the season so far. I think it just feels very cohesive from beginning to end. And like I said, there were no major scenes. The Room 23 stuff is a little lame, but at least it's like visually interesting enough in a WTF way. I think to your point, what docks it in my book is that you mentioned, you know, the big opening sequence of A Tale of Two Cities. Well, not in Portland is very steady. Unlike The Cost of Living or A Tale of Two Cities, there aren't any scenes that really like wow me enough to push it into the upper threes or even like the low fours, which I feel like those episodes, even something like The Other 48 Days, which I gave a 3.8, had a couple of faults looking at you last three minutes, but it also had some like really, really awesome stuff that was, to your point, next level. I don't think we had any of those scenes in this episode. Everything felt competent or above. And so while I feel that should be acknowledged, there wasn't enough to really push it into that next echelon. So I ended up settling on a 3.7. And the listeners overall settled just below me at a 3.6. I've seen stuff as low as a 3. And I saw a 4.2 from this, Josh. So I think... If you're in for like a real thrill ride of an episode, this is a great one. It's it's an enjoyable episode. It's like it's a fun episode to watch. I just think, like you said before, there wasn't really anything that made it an iconic lost episode but i still think it's very well done especially in the circumstance of everything if people were grumbling uh, about you know the way the first six episodes ended up turning out this is a great way to sort of like it's a really fun comeback really fun comeback uh after a fairly weak uh you know at least consensus wise first six episodes of the show i think that it comes back uh comes back with both feet on the ground running um it's uh it's going to be in third place overall so far uh which i think is appropriate the cost of living still at number one with 3.92 a tale of two cities in second at 3.83 not in portland in third 3.74 uh with a pretty significant lead over i do which is in fourth 3.45. 3.45. So I think that that's fair. I think these numbers uh, are all going to be shuffled next yep. week, Mike. <laughs> we, all- we are getting, uh, we're going to, we're going to get to uh, Joe Garfine's very favorite episode of Lost, Flashes Before Your Eyes, coming up next week. I mean, if you're talking about a game changing episode, I think a lot of people look upon the constant as a just prolific episode of Lost, if not television, us included. We, we put it as our number two favorite episode back when we did those rankings. But again, if I'll use the same, uh, example here flashes before your eyes walked so the constant could run or even fly that really brings up the constant of desmond hume being a man stuck in unstuck in time uh and it's just so weird especially when we first watched it as to just the unconditional narrative of it all we talked about how things like the other 48 days and three minutes sort of did a different take on how to do flashbacks but this is completely out the window if you're talking about iconic scenes you're gonna die charlie is definitely up there as well concerning i remember at the time it was all hyped up about a major character is gonna die on loss and they were talking about this for weeks and weeks so the reveal finally came here You know, I said that the on-island action was pretty hit or miss in the first six episodes, but man, do they just completely invalidate that in flashes before your eyes. I cannot wait for this. 
Going to be really fun. Uh, send your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. That podcast is going to come your way September 25th. Uh, a little bit of a, of a schlep between now and then. We'll see if we can't get something in your feed to, to uh, help pass the time. Uh, much like Desmond likes to travel through time. Mike Bloom, what else is going on with you? Uh, so what's going on with me? Big Brother keeps chugging along. Uh, so I'm, I'm working on that. Otherwise, I know that Josh, uh, you and myself are sort of Sunsetting a bit are beyond Top Chef coverage on reality TV or half ups before a much more exciting prospect going on as well in a food based show, but you'll have to listen to find out as well. So, yeah, be sure to check all that out. Of course, follow me at a Mike Bloom type for all the other stuff that's going on in my world. Plenty of stuff happening here on Post Show Recaps, Lovecraft Country, everything is super. Uh, we're switching the release orders of those two podcasts this week for some scheduling. They're changing uh, bodies. There, there's a body changing going on. So Infinity War, that recap will come sooner um, than the Lovecraft Country podcast. So they're just swapping orders from that Thursday and Saturday spot. Uh, so we've got that ang in there still going full steam ahead. The Pen15 recap podcast has begun. So lots of fun things going on and plenty uh, still in the offing. You know, we're, we're coming up on the return of zombie season. So mm-hmm. it's a fun time and here Star on Star Trek on season as well. Mm-hmm. So lots going on on Post Show. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't... Don't miss a thing. We'll be back next week with flashes before your eyes. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.